Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Dilly Algama to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Uh, to start off, Dilly, instead of just asking how you are, I thought I'd ask you a question. How do you feel about that? Go right ahead. Nice. Okay. It's a really simple question to start off. What's your favorite German food? My favorite German food will have to be pudding pretzel. Oh, that's a good choice. Pretzel is nice. Pudding yeah. is nice. And you put it together. Yeah. And there's love and harmony. Is it not a schnecker where you are? Is it a pudding pretzel? Yeah. You don't know what it is? No, I think it's called a pudding schnecker where I am. Oh, no. Is it one of those things again? <laughs> it, is, it is another one of those things again. Are you going to do a Twitter vote? I'm going to... And two threads. And the two threads and someone banging on my door shouting at me that it's not... It's not Berliner. It's Krapfen. It's not Krapfen. It's Fankuchen. <laughs> now, um, I think it is. I'm going to check next time in the bakery, but um, I'm a bit more hungry than I was when I first started. It's a definitely a solid answer. I like how you went for dessert first. <laughs> Oh, is it dessert? I, I guess just, so. It's it's breakfast. Oh, well, look at you, your luxury breakfast. Breakfast. Oh my god, that's the, that's the way to go. I don't even eat breakfast anymore. I didn't think I'd be judged by someone who has beer before <laughs> ten a.m. But you know, life. I happens. think if you dr- if you were drinking a beer while you're eating your uh, pudding schnecker, then yeah, that would probably be a problem. But on its own, that makes sense. I see people eating uh, crapfin for breakfast. So what do you see people eating? Crapfin. Berliner, ah, Frankuchen, whichever one works for you, <laughs> as we know. It's difficult. Um, this feels like a question about integration, which we'll get too much further down the line in okay. this episode. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on this week, because I'm sure, like myself, you've had a. I don't get to ask you week. a question? No, not this week. You okay. get to ask me a question next week. So save it up. Make it a good one. I like you making the rules of the game. <laughs> yeah, I've become a despot since Simon left. <laughs> Authoritarian. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, so this is something that's happened this week, actually only happened on Sunday. We discovered that my daughter now has 12 advent calendars, several of which are made of wood. Now, when I told the Twitter sphere about this, Everyone seemed a bit confused that you'd have wooden advent calendars. Have you come across that? I was too. What's that about? I don't I don't quite know. Well, the first, we have to pass a couple of things here. The first thing I'm confused about is why does my daughter need, at the age of two and a half, 12 advent calendars? Because my feeling is it's guilty relatives. <laughs> That's what I think it is. Uncoordinated relatives, no? They don't coordinate. A little bit of that, a little bit of that. And the wooden thing... It's something actually my wife made me a calendar when we first started dating and then she sent it to me and it was, uh, it wasn't wooden, it was like those little pouches, but they had little things in it. Yeah, but, I know that. But uh, I've seen it in various forms. I've seen, uh, there's like a, a house type thing. It's like a yeah. house frame and it's got little boxes in it. Drawers and you put, that you put Yeah, in. little drawers in it and you put boxes, you can put gifts in there or you've got, there's a train one. 
that that we've got that has it's one for no one yeah exactly yeah exactly and so that has again draws and you have like uh 24 carriages and they all have a little present inside them there's more elaborate ones that have kind of been carved and i've seen online we don't have any of those but we've got several sort of wooden based advent calendars and i was wondering uh if that was something that that you had seen or whether it's just me and my middle class bubble of bavaria (laughs) Last December, we looked up advanced calendars because um, my boyfriend and I wanted to do something special uh, for each other. And we also settled on the paper pouches with the Mm -hmm. uh, cloth pegs in miniature. And this year, uh, we voted extremely unanimously to not have a repeat session of this. (laughs) Because for one thing... There's so much garbage that comes out of it because you wrap the gift. And then how do you choose what 25 gifts for a person? Oh, yeah. One is enough. Did you end up doing the thing, my wife's done this before, where she put in like mini bottles of deodorant and and shower gel, that you could, like the travel size ones? We did little games, like puzzles. Ooh, nice. We went to the toy store and got little puzzles and we didn't know that we'd both done it. Oh, were you t- <laughs> did you get the same puzzles? Sometimes. <laughs> Excellent. Different Excellent. jigsaws. Um. What I like though, Dilly, is that when you were saying, oh, we decided unanimously not to do it, I was like, oh, my thought was like, oh yeah, because you can't be asked. And you were like, no, it's to do with the waste. And I was like, oh, you're <laughs> so much nicer than I am. <laughs> I couldn't be asked to do that, to be honest. And then I thought this year I'd start buying gifts, uh, you know, January onwards and stash things mm-hmm. away like chipmunks or something. But yeah. you don't do that either. You think, ah, oh, I'd start in summer. That doesn't happen. Nah, it's the immediacy. In November, you say, no, you throw the towel in. It's a lot of work to come up with 24 different gifts. And the yeah. 24th one has to be a blinder as well. It can't just be like a rubbish one. Yeah. Because uh, if I remember right, on all my advent calendars as a, as a child, we didn't get chocolate calendars because my dad was puritanical a bit with uh, regards to chocolate. Funnily, right, this is the weird thing. I've I've got the same thing. And I always remember being a kid going like, I'll never be like that when I have kids. I'll never stop them from having chocolate calendars. And that's one of the rules I've stipulated to all the families, don't get a chocolate calendar. Because you see what happens when a two and a half year old eats chocolate at eight o'clock in the morning. It's like turbocharging a two and a half year old. It's not a good idea. So, what um, does a two and a half year old get in in advanced calendars? Oh, uh, so we haven't opened them yet, obviously. So the the pre wrapped presents in these wooden calendars haven't been unwrapped yet. But there's one that's got uh, twenty four little books. There's one. I thought that was all right. There's one that's got, if I'm right, some kind of plastic toys. I think that's from my mum. Yeah. So more just guff. Uh, <laughs> so cynical and uh it's like the ones that, the what i want and the one i would want to get her is like a just a card one with pictures which we had last year which we've got a few of those as well so i don't know what i'm meant to do with them and stick them in the basement or burn them as my original suggestion would be it just seemed a little bit excessive 12 advent calendars i don't even have one is that the problem Okay, maybe it's a little bit to do with me being jealous, but like, let's not delve too deeply into those emotions that I'm having, okay? Because uh, your emotions are valid, Nick. <laughs> I don't think mine ever are. I think they're all just horrendous, horrendous jealousy. I want advent calendars. Um, of course. In other more exciting news, I, we have refrained from talking about the World Cup for obvious reasons, 
But I did feel like I wanted to mention the uh, last game between uh, Spain and Germany in the World Cup for the simple reason that a sort of low league footballer, um, he's in the Bundesliga now, I think with, is it with Werder Bremen or Wolfsburg or something like that? Um, this guy called Nicholas Fulkrug scored the equaliser for Germany against Spain and it was a, a beautiful goal. It was smashed into the back of the net with all the force of his 29-year-old uh, boot. And um, oh, well, the thing I was thinking, right, is in Britain we'd call them, we'd call someone who has a career like they have had where Nicholas Fulkrug got his first cap in the first game of this World Cup. He's not an overly famous footballer. Mm-hmm. And we'd call them a journeyman footballer in English. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, what's journeyman footballer in German? And I was wondering if, does Fußball Gesella, does that make sense? Fußball Gesella. Um, let, me, let me put on my face of sports interest. Let me feign this. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but I was thinking like, is that the right translation? Because Gesella is like journeyman, isn't it? It's like workman or something like that. Gesella. G-E-S-E-L-L-E. Ah, Gazella. I couldn't find any references to it particularly. And it made me wonder, like, I do like those those little bits of German where you, you have a, a translation that isn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> like a very good translation. Um, and I think this is a good example of that. Because everyone would know if somebody said, oh, he's a journeyman. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, he's probably played for a lot of football clubs or they've been um, in the lower leagues maybe. A lot of the time, but it I made me wonder because you don't really get in other industries. You don't get a journeyman teacher, mm-hmm. for instance. You don't get unless you you currently work with lots of people who have gone to eighteen different schools over their careers in all the different states. But um, there's another very famous footballer who um, who's, who's played for something like twenty twenty five football clubs wow. all around the world. The only player to have played in, I think it's every single continent. Wow. Yeah, you're so, really interested in football. Is it something you've done too? <laughs> no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm the worst is my football player ever. coming through? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It's just like I've, I've, I'm one of those people who, uh, I'm like yourself, probably hasn't got as much interest in sport as maybe it appears. But I do like the language around football because mm-hmm. there's like a lot of interest in one, especially British language. You get things like well. There's things that are like, like the onion bag is a British phrase for goal, right? So you put it right in oh, the, you put clever. it right in the onion bag, the onion right? Bag. I like that. But the one I like in German at the moment, the one I love and I keep hearing over and over again is when a player scores two yeah. goals, it's a doppelpack. <laughs> and I love that. Terminology. I love <laughs> the, the phrase. Analogy. I don't know what it's about K's in German, but it's like doppelpack. I'm like, yeah, I gotta, gotta enjoy that. But it led me to a sort of question is uh, you uh, obviously work in a German speaking environment. Yeah. I don't really work in a German speaking environment. I don't get a chance to speak German that much. Is there like an everyday phrase that you use that you often like, that's the phrase that I like the most, or that's a phrase that I overuse, or is that a phrase that I. Dingsbums. It's an extremely <laughs> convenient German phrase, which means thingamajig. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Dings, I use a lot. Dings is like my replacement word. Do you do that thing where you, um, if you don't know the German word, you just put the English word in with a weird German accent? I do it with pride. I I, (laughs) I code switch with pride as code switching is meant to be done. 
I have multilingual students in classes and they usually, when they can't find an English word, they just stop the sentence and I have to make them feel comfortable enough to just say anything that comes into their heads. And I do the same thing. Do you do that? What, where, make, make the students comfortable? <laughs> nah, I'll make an effort to make them feel uncomfortable, if anything. I stare them down. I go, Ooh. No, um, like, do, do, do I, like, finish their sentences for them? Or? No, do you, do you switch, like, between the two languages when you're teaching? When I know, when I know the word, so there's a lot of words I don't know. <laughs> so it just depends. In which language? Um, I mean, when it's, so there's some things in German where I, like, or I'll try and, I'll, I'll do that sometimes where I'll try and, what did I have yesterday? We were talking about a quote that had the phrase misty-eyed in it. So then I said, like, what does misty-eyed mean? And then I was like, I think it might be in German navel augen because <laughs> you've got like mist and eyes, but obviously that's not the same, not the same thing at all. So, Dilly, I had a, quite an interesting email from a listener. I think we found another real 40% German. So I got an email from a guy called Charlie, and Charlie is from the UK. But he did a DNA genealogy test oh. and it informed him that he was precisely 40% German. So, well done, Charlie. Welcome to the club. And he said that he's visiting Germany for the first time mm-hmm. and that part of him will be returning home, he says. But the question he asked mm-hmm. was rather more to do with learning German. And I thought we might have some interesting things to say about yeah. that. Uh, getting to the point, he says, since meeting my girlfriend, I've rekindled my desire to learn German. I've got Geolingo books and visiting here, I'm trying to speak more and I find uh, listening is helping improve some vocab. What would you recommend to help my journey to learn German? Short of immersing myself in intensive lessons, I think speaking is the best route. So the question ultimately is, what tips do we have for learning German? So Dilly, tell us about your learning German journey. I mean, just like you, I would say I'm still learning. I learn things every day. But something that has really helped is uh, watching Tartot and German TV with subtitles. Right. It's the language and it's also the culture mm-hmm. of regular crime TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find TV useful, but I don't have enough, a lot of time to watch television in any language, pretty much. As we mentioned, we, we speak a lot of English at work, which I think can be like the enemy of language learning mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I don't know about you, I find it hard to switch. What I found quite useful is I start my day by listening to German radio. Mm-hmm. That's That's a good idea. And I try and listen to at least... 40 minutes of a German podcast every day. And I think we, those two exercises are quite helpful. We're not above self-promotion, are we? <laughs> I wouldn't listen to this this podcast to learn German. But yes, I would say listen to podcasts. Podcasts are good. <laughs> like this one, but in German. Um, so I think the trick for me was knowing what kind of learner I am. Is that something that you thought about, about I'm this kind of learner and therefore... That's true. I think we respond to different things. I like hearing and seeing something at the same time, Mm. hence the subtitles. Then I would like Mm -hmm. jot things down and hang like verbs. And the Mm. articles, the German articles, they drove me nuts. They drive me nuts. So you write Mm. things down and you hang them on the fridge. Mm -hmm. Very visual. Has that ever worked for you? It has. Die Butter. 
it took me a while. I used to do that. And I guess for like items, it was good. But for learning conversational vocabulary, I found it not very useful. Mm-hmm. I find the sticky labels thing are easy. It's easy to do for a few days. And then eventually, the same thing, word of a day. I've got a word of the day German app on my phone. That I never, I never look at now. And I'm sure there's useful words in there. You are right about apps. There's one I used to learn articles, like Das Wasser. Mm-hmm. And oh, what was the name of that app? Do you know what it was? DRD Das. Just so simple. <laughs> Just so simple. Yeah, it's of course. It's the uh, definite articles in German. Because mm-hmm. that's something that I kind of effectively gave up on. Yeah, same here. Like, because I'm a teacher and I've been a trainer and I'm a lecturer, I find like I'm an awful student. I do all the things that I would tell my students not to do. I am quite lazy when it comes to learning things. And I really need like a mo- an external motivation. And short of being embarrassed in conversational situations, that seems to be a good motivator. It's like, I don't want to sound like a, a total moron. But finding out that what kind of learner I was, and I find that I'm uh, listening and repeating, I'm very ah. good at so it's definitely the the oral sort of learning and speaking is always important i don't think you can replace speaking as as any part of of that but i do find like listening to conversations like listening to the grammar i find quite mm-hmm. helpful and and the phrasing so i catch like phrases and then i build the phrases up into str- into sentences and so i th- i find that a good way of, of learning very duolingo uh, do you know what i feel about you i find duolingo's just got scammier and scammier as it's gone on it just feels like i remember when it first started like 10 years ago it was a dream app because it was in its early phases and everything was free there was no the gamification was pretty basic it was pretty easy to use and i felt like i learned things all mm-hmm. the time and then they put in the the premium option and now what happens is you're learning the same phrase like a hundred million times and a phrase that you're probably never going to use and a yes, structures that you're never going to use. And it takes ages to progress forward yeah. to the stuff that you really want to get into. And the bit that was only ever good for me eventually just became the comprehension exercises. Mm. Like my listening and understanding of German is great now. Like I pretty much understand everything, not necessarily every mm. word, like translation word for word, but I understand mm. meaning implicitly. And that's helped my speaking because now I know what's being said, I can formulate what I want to say back, which is still pretty B1, B2. I don't know, did you find Duolingo useful? Like, do you still find it useful? Do you still use it? I started on it like a month ago when I, we were going to France, yeah. it was a long drive, and I had right. learned German, uh, French like 10 years ago. Hmm. So I started brushing hmm. up on it, and it, it's worked, but I don't like the excessive competitiveness and um, mm. it's not only that you can set aside some time every day, but you also get demoted and you get penalized. And that's not very enjoyable. Yeah. Would you pay for apps? I do pay for it because it's something I really yeah, want Yeah, do you to. pay for the premium? I really want my French back. Ah, right. Okay. So where do you get your mo- – is your motivation just the desire to learn? Because that's always been something that's a problem for me is like finding motivation to learn. Like is it just like because you're a pure-hearted soul and like me that needs some kind of material reason? I am a pure-hearted <laughs> soul despite all of this. 
but um, I'm glad it's out there now. I was waiting and um, getting back to the language. I recognized it from the beginning, Dilly. I saw it from the beginning. I knew Absolutely. you were pure hearted. It's why we invited you on the show. And um, I, I do spend quite a bit of time with in France with my boyfriend. And I like being able to speak in uh, French with people that we see there. When we go to the shops, mm-hmm. there's a thrill mm-hmm. in using a language. So, yeah. I think there is that success of a conversation. And actually, for me, it's not the big stuff. It's like the being caught out in certain instances. Like, like this, is ha- this happens quite a lot where I am. I'll get in the lift and someone will say like, oh, w- w- are you in? Because I'll get on the, off the, on the lift at the university department floor. And someone will go, oh, what? like they'll ask me in German, do you work for the university? And I'm like, yeah. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. And I'm like, yeah, I've been a lector, yeah? And that's fine. And then they'll say, oh, what in? And I'll say English. And they'll switch to English. Yes. And they'll say something like, and they'll say like some non sequitur, you know? And, and, and I'm like, I want to speak to reply to them in German, but I haven't got like my crack, as it were, in German is pretty shit. Like my conversational German's pretty like, uh-huh, yeah. Ganz genau. Rick dig. <laughs> Exactly. Ganz yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's that's his minor minor <laughs> mark. Yeah, you know, like that kind of thing. It's that's like sort of responsive like reflexive or reactive. And I can hold my own in a conversation, but I'm not really getting like I had an, a discussion with my father in law at the weekend. We talked oh God, we're talking about cultural appropriation. So already I was in the deep, <laughs> deep water. And he was talking real fast, he's real Byrish, and it was like kind of clinging on, but I think I did all right, I got my point across. But at the same time, you know you're dropping clunkers and you know you're dropping, like, my dream is always to be able to use ear and oich effectively. That's, like, my focus at the moment because that's my structure that I'm, I'm mm-hmm. terrible with is a third person. So, like, I'm working on that, but my formal's pretty good. It's much better than of it course. was. And obviously informal's fine, but I always f- screw up word endings or the certain words. But there's an instinct for certain things now where an instinct for this is the right verb ending this is the right past tense this is the right structure are the verbs going to go here this is where the auxiliary verb goes and i think that helps because of my Mm -hmm. i teach grammar so i think part of it is if you understand your own grammar a bit you'd be able to understand the complexities of german grammar because they don't take any i've yet to find a textbook or a course that doesn't assume you know something about the terminology of grammar and I think that yeah. can be complex. Did you ever do the um, like Volkshochschule or like one of those I courses? I did a university course when I first came to Germany. Right. I had already learned some German mm. at the uh, Goethe Institute in Colombo. And I used to watch Berlin, Berlin, where two cousins make out with each other, not knowing their cousins. Incestuous soap operas was my <laughs> induction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So TV has been a big thing for you. You've also written here that songs are good. Yeah. Like, I've never found songs that great. What about, do you listen to a lot of German music then? Not enti- not exactly, because in Germany they play mostly English songs. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do recommend to my students that they listen to English songs. And um, mm. even though some students might not be confident speaking in English, they're still very happy to mm. sing. And they learn words, they learn prepositions in the middle of the night, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So yeah, I think a bit a bit of knowledge about your own grammar helps yeah. with understanding. Like when st- people start talking about dative and genitive, you're like, yeah. right, what do they mean? And then you have to sort of look them up and then it, that can be complex. Whereas I'm like more, what's yeah. the function of it? Why am I doing it? In what instance will I be doing it? How does this phrase change? So I find quite useful is reading German news and I'll read the article for comprehension. I just Everything becomes a lot harder, but you read it for comprehension and then I go mm-hmm. to something like Deepal where I can get side by side and I can look at the English translation and I can look at the German words. You're not going to pick up a vast amount of vocabulary, but you will see structures. One thing, you said that Duolingo makes us learn phrases that we'll never need again. And I just wanted to add to that. So um, the, the, the icon, is that what it's called? It's an owl. And the, an owl in French is chouette. And when I first started relearning French, so like a month ago, we were in France and in a restaurant, and uh, the waitress was explaining what the food was to us. And she said something like, choux. And I said, ah, chouette, chouette. And I didn't realize that she meant cabbage, which is choux. <laughs> and like a month later, I realized, ah, I asked her what if she was serving us out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back, you, is that braised owl, is it? That's everything Thank I've ever you, Duolingo, for that. Yeah, I, I just find it, it's very repetitive. I've tried Babel before. I think Babel's pretty good. Anything that's going to give you a chance to meet people face-to-face or have like mm-hmm. one-to-one tuition, I think Babel does that quite well, or Babel or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. So I think I think there is apps out there that can be useful. There's there's an, an app that I've seen floating around, and, and the name escapes me, but you'll probably be able to find it with a nifty Google search that's very much like Netflix, mm-hmm. and it's got TV shows with subtitles, but you can pause it and you can click on the subtitles and it gives you translations. So there's stuff Very like that cool. that's out there that can be quite useful. What what the quality yeah. of the library's like, I don't know. I find just conversation and listening to German and yeah. reading German helps. But I feel like I've plateaued at this point. I'm very much in a, a sort yeah. of B one, B two plateau because I'm speaking so much English at home now with my daughter. One more point, Nick, before I forget it. Um I spent a lot of time, when I was in Gießen, I spent a lot of time with a friend's kids, uh, two boys, and um, I used to read Mm. to them in German and English, but I realized that my German started getting even better when I read German children's books. That's something to start with. Yes, yes. I've started doing that too, and I've surprised myself with how much German I actually understood, and then I've read out loud to my daughter, and my wife went, oh, your uh, pronunciation's much better than... It usually is. And I was like, yes, yes, I've done the umlauts. Um, and I think that's quite useful, but it helps to have a native German around to listen to you. There's certain words, like we talked to us about me saying rat house last week. Rat house. You did rat not say that. House, rat house. You can't house, say rat house and expect me house. to think of like a serious German building. <laughs> but I think the thing is, one of the things that I would I would tell you to do, anyone to do who's learning any language, is record yourself speaking English and the language you want to speak and listen to the pronunciation and compare that to the pronunciation samples from, say, somewhere like YouTube or whatever if you've got a learning CD and hearing what your accent does. Because I, I don't know where Charlie comes from uh, in the UK, but if he has, say, a northern accent, well, you're going to make some quite interesting changes in your pronunciation because of that. 
I think often Americans have a better time of it uh, when they've got like this sort of Midwest mm -hmm. accents or Californian accents because they're not dropping a lot of sounds. Whereas I drop T's all the time and uh, my, my vowel sounds are very particular, so especially my A sounds. So I have to work very hard. And sometimes I'll, uh, I'll just choke up and I'll not pronounce things correctly. And I think that's yeah. really important to be yeah. being aware of the weird things that you just don't know that you do in your own pronunciation. I still can't say the umlaut properly. My, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of I'm tentative about it, but I feel like my, my ears and ears and things like that are a little bit better, but not great. I had a verbal footnote. I so said, I just, I, yeah, that's kind of me. I can't do that. Yeah, this was that complicated to toot me light. It's very complicated. Um, <laughs> yeah, what I don't do anymore, which I'm, I'm glad, I don't apologize for my German. I used to do that all the time. I used to go, oh, toot no. me light, my Deutsch is not so good, aber, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's what multilingualism looks like. But you feel like you have to apologize that yeah. your language skills aren't as good as they could be. They are as good as they could be. <laughs> I, what I'm saying, I mean, I'm talking about myself, but I know that I could do more. But I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, right? It's the, the same understanding I have for my learners is not everyone wants to finish their day of, of work and then go home and learn, learn, learn. When I was doing my Staatsbürgerschaft and I had to do all the language courses, I actually applied myself and did it every day. I did like, I tried to do 20 minutes every day for about five months, and my German went from A1 to B1. Wow. Yeah. I also been relatively fast through the stages, thanks to incestual soap operas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just, it's effort, really. Um, and that's what people don't really want to hear. They don't want to hear, they want to hear, is, like, is there a secret way around it? But I'm sure, Charlie, I hope these sorts of ideas have helped you uh, to think about some of the things you could be doing to improve your, your German. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us how it's going. Let us know. Yeah, and good luck to Yeah, Charlie. good luck to you, Charlie. I hope that your German is uh better than mine it wouldn't be very hard at this point but i hope it gets to a point where it's better than mine so uh yeah uh let us know how it goes and mod meet Aussicht, that's also a late recommendation it's a german crime series set yeah, in yeah. a little rural air village uh, simon's recommendation of trash television is was always good i found shopping queen and things like that quite helpful just to hear dialects and different things and because of a lot of that material is yeah. available for free online so i'd search out definitely some german tv find some podcasts um easy german podcast is pretty good i listen to and that books. quite regularly yeah. and uh yeah books and newspapers uh definitely places to look um, but if you find an app or you find something that really works for you please charlie do let us know it feels like uh, every maybe five, six years, there's this discussion that comes up in Germany. And it feels like the last time we had this discussion was around 2016, 2017. And it's this question around German citizenship and integration, which is very much at the forefront of discussions in Germany at the moment, as the coalition government has proposed some changes to how people can become citizens of, of Germany. The major change that's being proposed is that instead of it taking eight years, it could take five years instead to get citizenship. Um, some other ideas that are being discussed are to reduce complications around dual citizenship, which is currently a big problem for a lot of people, and also to, to maybe speed up uh, citizenship for people who have um, perhaps shown their 
their commitment to Germany in, in various ways. This is this is quite a common process in, in other European countries too. Uh, and these all seem like very simple changes that most people would agree with. But like so many things in Germany, the discussion has kind of exploded because of um, various opposition uh, statements around this idea of reforming citizenship, but also within the coalition itself with critics within the FDP coming to the fore to discuss the idea or at least put forward the idea that the German passport is somehow being cheapened, mm -hmm. which I feel is a little bit of a, a dramatic statement. And certainly there's various voices in the Freie Demokratische Partei who have, have said this. There was one yesterday and one today. So, um, so Dilly, yeah, I mean, we both have a migrant hintergrund, okay, <laughs> a migrant background. So how do you feel about this, these proposals and the, the general discussion around citizenship? I've been following it pretty keenly because I had to give up my Sri Lankan citizenship and I don't think that's the case for you, right? There was a deal as Brexit approached that meant that if I got my application in, I could take advantage of the EU directive that allows me to retain my original citizenship and adopt also another EU citizenship. So I'm, I'm currently a dual citizen and it was made much easier for British people. Um, yeah than I think for other nationalities. But you're so, so you, were, you weren't even given the option? No. From the get-go, I had to give up my Sri Lankan citizenship mm -hmm. and hand over my Sri Lankan passport, mm -hmm. which I didn't know I had to do. So that was... Oh, you didn't even know that? A teary moment. When did you find out that you needed to do it? Um, at the ceremony where they gave me my citizenship and certificate. Oh, and my... Luckily, I had it with me. Oh, my God. So you would... You turn up what was meant to be a happy yeah. moment, and then they're like, now yeah. give us your passport. Yeah, and then the German authorities hand it over to the Sri Lankan authorities Holy. to let them know that Sri Lanka has lost one citizen. Jeez, that's yeah. that's really rough. It's very rough. You are right. Also very rough when I have to apply for a Sri Lankan visa mm -hmm. to go to Sri Lanka, and you have to cross the box that says tourist, visiting relatives. <sighs> when I went through it, I didn't know what to do. I was totally in like a... A situation where I felt like paralyzed because I couldn't conceive of not have not that I feel overtly British or particularly sort of patriotic but it was like it's home yeah you're giving up an aspect of yourself that it's not so much you're yeah. giving it up you're being forced to give it up yeah and I think the situation around Brexit was so uh, volatile that I felt like I felt like I was under attack you know and I felt like curling up yeah. into a ball I don't know how I would have handled it if I'd been under the impression I was getting to keep both passports and then to be told. Did you find the process of actually getting the passport relatively straightforward or did you find it... You mean the citizenship, right? Yeah, getting the Ausweis, getting your citizenship, yeah. It was very pleasant and easy for me, mm -hmm. I must say. But I was told by my friends who... Uh, one friend was married to someone from Yemen and who was also trying to get his citizenship at the time. And she told me exactly how hard it was and how rude people can be and how long the process takes. And they go from one office to the other, hoping that the switch will help. Mm -hmm. I've, um, I'm going to say that my experience was probably the exception. Do you know why that might have been? Were you just particularly, were just because you were so lovely and wonderful? <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, P-O-N, true. 
I did it during the pandemic, so it felt like it was more organized, more streamlined. And I've heard some horror stories from people, certainly in Berlin, where they've had to wait outside the Auslanders Behörder and they have to like race up the stairs to get in the queue. And there's only so many people who can go in and speak to the Beamter in that department, in the what is essentially the, the Bureau for Foreigners, I guess would mm -hmm. be the best description. And then if you're in the queue, but the time's up, the time's up and you have to come again tomorrow. So I've oh, heard no. some like real horror stories from different places, but I didn't really have that experience. I mean, getting to the, the nub of the, this discussion is that, that somehow there is a distinct difference between eight years and five years when it comes to gaining citizenship. Yeah. Um, my wife sent me a lovely message yesterday. She sent me the article and said, why the fuck are we even discussing this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, exactly. Do you think it's a reasonable reform? Five to eight? Actually, with me, I think the case was that I was still um, a P I was a P I am still, but I was a PhD student at the time. And um, as unprivileged as I may be sometimes as a brown woman living in Germany, certain things about me also means that I have access to things easily. In, in what sense? The fact that I was a PhD student. Right. So you had like more credibility almost education mm -hmm. um although i made sure to tell them that this doesn't mean that i'm going to finish my phd in the next year mm. and um i was worried that they thought okay she's gonna finish next month let's yeah uh, yeah and i didn't want to get anything under false impressions so no no of course not i really um i talked myself down mm. just to make sure that they knew that i was a struggling phd student is it in Holland? It might be Holland. I think they have, if you are doing a PhD, if you play in the nas a national sports team or you win an international arts prize, you get some reduction in the time it takes for citizenship um, because I guess that shows special commitment. And I think that's a reasonable thing. If you're studying in a country, especially something like a PhD, it suggests that you're trying to add value to the nation. And I guess that's where it comes down to, this discussion. But I found this quote um, yesterday by the CSU Landesgruppe chef, the leader of the sort of states group for the Christian Social Union, Alexander Dobrindt, mm -hmm. said some pretty inflammatory things yesterday. And he talked about selling German citizenship with this new idea. And that felt really, it felt, the the discussion around it, I find foul every time it's hard. Yeah. That no one's mentioned um, light culture yet, which is this guiding culture, this idea that there's somehow, we need a guiding culture to help immigrants integrate. And I hate the discussion on integration because yeah. I find it is often the people who are involved in it are the least qualified to talk about integration. Yeah. Like I feel like politicians especially are the least aware of what the hell their country's all about. Yeah. And the hell that immigrants go through, it's bad enough. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, the moment we start valuing people for uh, higher levels of education and all the money that they might bring to the country, I didn't bring anything, so there is that. But uh, the moment you say, um, okay, let, let's see um, what kind of property you have, what kind of capital you have, 
I mean, not everyone is going to have a master's. I mean, not many people are going to have a bachelor's degree in anything. And even if they do, it doesn't count towards, yeah. they would say, you know, we, we can't accept that degree in Germany. You have to start from scratch. But it's not the same for, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, refugees that come in from Ukraine. They already have jobs and their degrees are unerkannt or accepted in Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, it was easy for me, but... Um, I also think about uh, people who would like to have their parents with them who maybe don't have bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. And and you start kind of devaluing people who don't have the beautiful lives that you want to reward people for. I mean, the first thing I thought is if you've lived in the country for five years, like that's a, that that's commitment. a statement in itself. Yeah, it's real commitment. Like, the, I think that's it. They don't understand. Like, if you reside in a country... And there's, it's already very clear what the requirements for citizenship are, that you're not taking mm-hmm. money from benefits, you're not like at the job center, or that you can speak German, that you understand the laws, the Grundgesetz, the constitution, the culture, all of these things. There's various different things that are basically kind of saying, have you got a language certificate and have you got done the citizenship test? Like those are the basics, and if you do those things, then you can apply for citizenship. Have you lived here, resided here for the right length of time? Like once you've met all those criteria, that's fine. But why there's somehow a difference between seven or eight years and and five years? I just don't understand why they think that extra couple of years is somehow changing yeah. whether you're integrated or not. And equally, the the thing I find ridiculous about integration discussions is I don't know who gets to decide what integration looks like. And this is something I think about a lot is people Mm. just assume I'm integrated. Like people just assume because I look like a German. Essentially, I'm a white bloke and I I fit in. And if I keep my mouth shut, people would like never think. No one ever like walks up to me and speaks to me in English because they know inherently that I'm an English speaker. They only ever speak English when they hear me Mm. speak German or they hear my accent everyone treats me like I'm already German and everyone would say I'm integrated. And actually a lot of ways, I don't feel like I'm the most integrated person. There's a lot of things that I do that are still very, very British and would be alien to German. But equally, it takes absolutely no time at all for people to like un-German me. Yes. So do you remember the whole cheese and Stalin thing, right? So the whole cheese and Stalin thing is a joke, right? It's funny because I like it, but also because it gets a reaction from certain types of people and people seem to enjoy it and it's funny and I enjoy like perpetuating it. And I got a tweet through last week that was like, oh, but you're not even really German. And I was like, I didn't know how to reply to it. That hurts. Well, I mean, yeah, it does. But like, all it takes is one example of you not being what someone perceives to be German for them to tell you you're not German. Yeah. And even in the conversation I had at the weekend with my father-in-law about lots of different things, and but like the perception of that part of that conversation was, well, like we're German and you're British, so you yeah. would see things differently. And it was done sensitively, but it was still done. And it was like, well, I don't actually see myself as particularly British anymore. I see myself as more yeah. German in my sensibilities. But how do you measure sensibilities? Is there like a, a test I can take for German sensibility? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, and anything that doesn't agree with uh, with a person's opinion then is exactly. chalked down to my being. You know, well, of course you think that, or of course you'd say that because you're Sri Lankan, and then mm-hmm. suddenly mm-hmm. Uh, 
the Sri Lankaness is also very obvious in contrast to you and your Britishness. Mm-hmm. And it's something that people feel like they can push and pull at their will. And I have no control mm-hmm. over it because I present myself as someone who is inherently not German mm-hmm. uh, through not my own doing. Even when people talk about home, and it's a conversation I've had before with Simon, but like his perception of home is very different from mine. And I don't perceive Britain as my home. It's my former home. Like, this is my home. And then for people to go, oh, are you going to go home for Christmas? And I'm like, well, yeah, because I live here. I'm going to go back to my <laughs> Like, I don't, like, that's not German people doing that. Often that's other uh, other migrants, you know. Mm. They, they have their perception. But I'm yeah. quite... I'm quite assured of where my home is. Yeah. But again, how do I prove that to the yeah. the Behörde? Like, is there a, a document I can fill in for that? I don't think there is. And for me, I like the idea of Sri Lanka being my home and Germany being my home. And mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. fluid. But mm-hmm. I've also had uh, reactions from people where they don't like it when I say I'm going home to mean I'm going to Sri Lanka for summer. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, because no, you live here, and they think mm-hmm. of my Sri Lankanness as a disloyalty. Really? Yeah. I've had wow. That. And then wow. you feel like people carry around a checklist, and they never let you know what's on it. But mm-hmm. I'm constantly crossing the lines and making mistakes mm-hmm. because people perceive things and they want to see certain things, whether mm-hmm. it's in that moment or whether it's always that case. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can't see this discussion getting any better Mm-mm. through time. It's not, I mean, it has to be so nuanced. It's such a sensitive issue when people just walk all over it in their rain boots. Yeah, no, that's that's it as well. They sort of come trudging in and go like, we can tell you what this is. We can tell you yeah. what it is to be to be German. I spend like 10 days in Mallorca every year and I think they know what it's like, what it's like to be foreign. I sort of alluded to it earlier today when I, I tweeted something out about like, you can't even decide what the name of a donut is. So like, how are you going to tell me about integration? And it was being facetious, but like the point being is, is Bavarian integration the same as Berlin integration? Is, is Hessen integration the same as Rhineland Falz integration yeah. you know like is it the same in every state because if I knock up with my Vasishtes and Fenster and, yeah. and all these sort of like weird dialect trips that I take into Schwabish every so often how's that going to be perceived in other states yeah. like when other states call people from the south foreigners it doesn't really leave you much opportunity as a migrant to you're just a migrant then aren't you like if everyone else is bloody migrants too. And it's like, I find the whole like, let's put a label on it and tell you what integration is. Yep. You need to be integrated. It's just a way of saying like, you'll never be integrated. It's sad because they expect a renunciation of a former self, like hand over the passport mm-hmm. and you're not Sri Lankan anymore. Mm-hmm. You can probably do that with a little booklet, but it does. it's not how it works in real life. I cried. I cried for days. Yeah, I can imagine in you secret. did. I think I would have done because mm-hmm. it's it's painful. It's yeah. identity. It's who you are. It's integral. Like I'm the black sheep in the family. Like I'm, I lose mm-hmm. things that I have that I share to, together with my parents and my brother, and I'm supposed to be only happy about it. People don't leave room for people to have different emotions over the same thing, mm-hmm. or, or over one thing. People think that you have to renounce your former self or a former self. And these are very tricky things. Hmm. Do you drive Dilly? 
I do not drive, do you? I, well, I, oh, yeah, I do for my sins. I take a lot more public transport than I used to, yeah. really. But um, my attention was caught by a recent study into uh, the sort of anger on the roads and road rage in general. And I've dealt with that, though, yeah, on the bike. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you've got something to tell us. But this is the Federal Motor Transport Authority, which is a great name, but actually is even better when we translate it into German, which is Kraftfahrt Bundesamtes. And they've done a study recently into road traffic offences. And shock horror, Dilly, men are far ahead of women in the statistics men commit 78 percent of all speeding violations 82 percent of all distance offenses and even 87 percent of drink driving offenses that's pretty wild statistics when it comes down to it so that's two-thirds of all traffic offenses it's taking the passive out of the aggressive <laughs> yeah i mean it is really but it kind of marries to my understanding of the roads when i see people causing havoc vast majority are men in suvs angry looking men in suvs oh suvs yeah you don't drive but you definitely cycle i know that's something I cycle. You so tell me about like your experiences on the roads i imagine you've had some pretty interesting experiences with motorists in your time i have i've had two accidents and uh, after that i was also quite uh, quite scared of getting back on the horse so to speak mm. people are very mean on the roads mm -hmm. and and they race behind you they accelerate yep. That's a lot of emotion at play. Yeah, flash, flashing and, the lights um, and things like this, yeah. Very bright lights, very loud. Um, and and the people don't like cyclists, and not everyone is polite and nice. It's not safe. I'm terrified of cyclists. Like, I'm properly... You're terrified of cyclists? Oh, yeah, like 100%. I'm All constantly... Right. Con you want to take this outside? No, no, <laughs> I mean, like, in a positive way. Like, I'm always watchful. Like, the last oh, thing I ever want to do is hurt anybody in a car... And like what was drilled into me when I learned to drive was about how you have to be more responsible because you're in the death machine. When you hit a pedestrian or a cyclist, you'll be all right. It's them that will be buggered. And so you have like a responsibility that was properly drilled into us by my driving instructor. But it doesn't seem yeah. to be much of a thought for a lot of drivers when I see them. I see how they act. Nick, it's bad enough being a pedestrian. There's a crossing um, I have to take every morning. There have been times when I'm standing in the middle of the road and I still have to stop for the cars to pass by. Jeez. And I call the police twice to say that maybe they have to look into it yeah. because when it's green for the motorist, it's green for the pedestrian. But in my opinion, I have the right of way. Yeah, yeah. And it should seem so mm. when I'm walking in the middle of the road already and it's green for me. People don't stop. Is that for the for right turns? So they're turning, they're the person's the, turning yeah, right. Turning the yeah, the left, and that's where the crossing is. Okay. I would imagine the vast majority of these people were men, but I'd going back to the report, the statistics were quite interesting because it said that women are more likely to break the rules because they overlook, say, a traffic sign or some kind of change in the in the road or some kind of um, like road closed or something like this. So they're breaking the rules essentially unintentionally. Mm. But but men often deliberately break the rules because they want to gain an advantage. And they push more, uh, they drive closer to other cars, they uh, flash their headlights more, they uh, break the speed limit more. And, and these are the more serious violations that are registered. Mm. And again, that was something that I was like, oh yeah, that's like, that's again something you'd note. Like every time I've seen someone do something 
hinky with a pedestrian or or with a cyclist it's always again it's always a bloke and it always feels like it's a put off right it's yeah. like being mean to the waiting staff yeah yeah i think so there's an element of that i think you're like you're essentially bullying you're in a position of power yeah. i do yeah. think there's some cyclists out there who take aggressive cycling to the limit there's plenty of times i've had altercations as a pedestrian with cyclists like where I work, there's a crossing and it has various intersecting, there's a crossroads and it has various different uh, pathways for the cyclists that cross directly over where the, the, the traffic lights are and they'll just come bombing towards us. And then mm. they shout at me and there's plenty of times I've just dropped F-bombs and you can they don't stop because they just bomb off. And you're just like, well, like, what, what, what do you want me to do? Like in that situation... Like we're both screwed if you hit me at thirty kilometers an hour in a, in, on a bike. Yeah. Like could could easily kill me. Could easily yeah. kill them. And I don't care who has uh, who was in the right. Yeah. Um, am I right to be in the middle of the road when it's green for me? Because if if something happens and I lose a limb or some, mm-hmm. I mean that's no amount of compensation is going to make up for that. And the other the other shocking thing was the drink driving statistics that men drink drive 87% and women only 13%. That was quite shocking. Is that something oh, that you've come across? Has it not penetrated after all this time of advertising and no speaking up about it? Absolutely no idea at all. It seems like one of those things that's like an aberration almost or a, like a... And this um, is Germany. Public transport is so good. Mm-hmm. You don't have to drive if you're drunk or if you've taken a drink. Well, I think part of it is to do with the municipalities. So in Augsburg, we've had various mm. different approaches, like they've done cheap affairs and they've done things like, mm. uh, what did they introduce a couple of summers? During the pandemic, they introduced a thing where if you got if you traveled within the city center on mm. the U-Bahn, it was free. And I thought that was a great idea. So yeah. there was like a, a stop that you could park at and just basically get on the U-Bahn and it was free. I thought that was great. But I actually went to Nuremberg at the weekend and that was the worst traffic I've ever... I was stuck in traffic. I was stuck in the middle of Nuremberg for two and a half hours just trying to find a parking space to get like... Because I'd come from Augsburg. I just wanted to park my car and it was it was chaos. Roadworks. Everyone's going to the Weihnachtsmarkt. The Weihnachtsmarkt had opened and it's the biggest in Germany. And so... It was just everyone was trying to find parking spaces in the city. Everyone was trying to drive there. I was there for overnight, and then I just wanted to get out. And it was like, does Nuremberg not pay attention to like the idea of public transport? Like the public transport in Nuremberg is is, is fucking amazing. Like they have a great U-Bahn system, great Strassenbahn system. They have an U-Bahn that takes you all the way to Fürth, which is in a different city. The region at Regionalbahn's really good. Nope, still loads of people in cars. Like so many people, all the park houses were were out. And I just went, ah, this is like more than just, this is more than just individual. Like it's it's a, a whole culture of driving that's not even being tempered by the city going all right well vinax marks on we'll make the tickets cheaper on the strassenbahn and the u-bahn or like there's none of that it just seemed like oh well this is what happens this is your fate you know screw you doesn't matter and that no. and I, I lived in the Südstadt in nuremberg for a long time and people in the Südstadt um just there was no parking everyone seemed to have two cars no parking anywhere. I couldn't park your car. And you just had like people illegally park in places. Um, streets that were like, you can't park in this street. And I'm like, well, why not? Like, why do these people who have the nice houses get to have 
Bavona Park House Vice, but no one else does. So we just get cowboys parking everywhere. And it just yeah. felt, it feels like a real chaos where where they were. Yeah. And I think we had we recently had, was it in Berlin? I have to look this up. We had a fire and mm. two people uh, couldn't be saved because um, the fire truck uh, was blocked by vehicles that were parked illegally. Jesus. Yep. That's awful. Mm-hmm. And like that's the bigger issue, right? I mean, like, and and I think that happens in places where there is no parking spaces because people are just trying to find somewhere to put their car. But yeah. I, I feel like a lot of German cities just aren't designed for cars. They aren't designed for car travel, really. Um, it's sort of been bolted on, and it causes frustration. And that frustration boils over into to the vulnerable people on the road. Which is anyone without an SUV. Now, if you've got someone in an SUV who's entitled, I mean, SUVs, it's unfair, right? If you've got a driver who's just entitled, who feels like, who, who is, is one of these archetypes that's being mentioned in this report, you can see, it's almost surprising there isn't more violence, you know? Um, there isn't more um, aggression on the roads because if I was, I was feeling it after two hours sitting in my car going nowhere in the middle of Nuremberg and just being like, how is everyone okay with this? How is anyone like, this is fine. This yeah. is what I want to do. Like, if I chose, I, I wanted to travel by public transport, I just couldn't because of the situation. Because yeah. you wouldn't have that problem. Why anyone would choose to, who lives in the regional area? Because I was looking around the license plates. It was all people from the local area. Mm. Like, they weren't sort of coming from all over the country. It was all local license plates. So I'm like, you've all made a decision. You're going to drive into the city. Like, insane people. Like, why would you make that decision? Um, so, like, yeah, it's it's troubling. It's troubling. Um, one of the last things I'll, I'll say about this is when it comes to cell phones behind the wheel, 26% of women use their phones while driving. And when it comes to uh, running red lights, uh, that's 32% of women do that. Um, this is where things become a bit more balanced. So using the phone or running red lights seems to have a more balanced impact on the stats between genders. But yeah, I find those two things some of the worst. Like, I hate people who drive through red lights. You see that a lot. I, I see that so that. much. Uh, how are they not worried? I stare at people like that. I've seen mm-hmm. bus drivers on their phones. It seems so, like, like the drink driving thing. Do, like, do people not understand how obnoxious it is, how awful it is? I just think it's it, that's awful. And, and you see it as well, the lights will change. It'll be orange and people will change to red and like two cars will still go through the lights. Yeah. And you're just like, come on, yeah. like, what is wrong with you? The light is you red know? and they still go over the, hmm? they still. Hmm. There was some, some, some good news, I guess, from the report, which is that although aggressiveness on the, in, on the roads is increasing, fatalities have actually fallen. Hmm. Uh, there were 11,000 fatalities in 1991, and in 2021 there was only 2,600. However, I would note that that was also the tail end of the pandemic. So um, yeah. there might be some pandemic effect there. So uh, maybe things aren't as bad uh, all over the roads, but certainly the aggressiveness is not something we want to see i agree that brings us to the end of the show we are going to steal all the advent calendars and hang them wall to wall of course we are we're going to get all the chocolates (laughs) um yeah if you're enjoying the podcast why not give us a rating on itunes which only takes a minute and can really help us we are also still after them spotify stars so send us some spotify stars as they go uh, retweet us share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on twitter or instagram you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi 
patreon.com slash decades from home and contributing to help keep us going um yeah i'm looking at the facebook i'm not sure entirely what i'm going to do with that i feel like i'm going to delete the facebook maybe mm-hmm. it's not quite working for me but we'll see what what happens um now that all the chaos and fear are over twitter being closed down is sort of subsided um i did start a uh, a, a mastodon account but i'm not sure <laughs> that's really gonna <laughs> go anywhere um so twitter definitely instagram definitely facebook a little bit uh, really the things that help us are really basic things the itunes reviews are really really valuable they really really help us uh, Spotify, as I mentioned last week, uh, you, people are getting recommendations and it's your work listener that's helping that. And it's a really simple thing to do to either give us a rating on iTunes, to give us some Spotify stars, or just to rate us on any app. Some uh, podcast apps allow you to write reviews of the podcast that sort of stuff is so helpful and also i mean it's nice it's nice to hear from you and and to get some nice feedback so if you feel inclined please go out and do that maybe you can make it a an early christmas gift for us as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet dilly on at delini algama and you can tweet me at 40% german uh you can also get us on decades from home at gmail.com like charlie did email us with questions about German learning, about anything really, feel free to just drop us a line. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Bye!